A word of warning. This podcast may contain themes that some listeners might find distressing. Not always, but sometimes. However, this podcast will definitely contain strong language. Therefore, if neither of these things sound appealing, it's probably not the podcast for you then, is it? to the Nicest Rumblings podcast with me, the Nicest Psychologist, and my guest today is Dr. Becca Shellcross. Hello, Becca. How are you? Hi. Hi. I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, thank you. Ta- uh, thank you for taking uh, time out of your schedule. It's currently 8, 8.30 at night, <laughs> so mm-hmm. the life of a psychologist mother and also you know, I guess Instagram psychologist uh, never stops, so yeah. I'm grateful for your time. <laughs> And I guess, uh, so today, um, you're going to be joining me in a conversation in and around boundaries, a bit more of a nuanced conversation in and around boundaries. The reason being that obviously with within this week, there has been quite a lot of online discussion, so we shall we say, around some text messages that were received by a woman called Sarah Brady, who I believe dated the actor Jonah Hill a couple of years ago they're no longer dating um, I believe but on the weekend she released some text messages which outlined I guess some questionable I don't know demands requests stipulations I guess whatever you want to call it about their relationship and that kind of as you know these things sometimes tend to do blew up on social media and I guess again as is the nature of social media, there tended to be quite a polarizing view of those of those messages. And I guess within that, as you know, psychologists, you and I had some conversations behind the scene where I had some things I wanted to say, or I had some people getting in touch with me, asking you know, asking some things, saying some things, and you kind of said that you had a whole bunch of stuff, you know, kind of whirring around your head that you wanted to say, mm-hmm. um, and I thought, well, <laughs> you know, and you'd kind of said that you you had a lot to say, but it wasn't necessarily, it wouldn't necessarily fit kind of like the the profile of a short um, snapshot Instagram profile so I kind of just said why not come on the podcast and let's have a discussion about it and let's kind of get all the nuance out and Mm. uh, so here you are yeah 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 exactly it's really nice to be able to do it in a format where you can delve into uh yeah the nuance and the complexity and the messiness I think that is uh human (laughs) relationships right exactly Mm. um so I guess for context, before we kind of get into that, um, it might just be helpful, I guess, for the listeners who may who may not know you, mm-hmm. um, I guess, just to say a little bit about sort of, you know, who you are, what you do, and I guess what your what your interests are and where they lie within sort of the field of psychology. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, I am Becca Sharkos. I'm a clinical psychologist. That's my training. I'm also a researcher a postdoctoral researcher um and a lot of my research is around women's mental health so looking at things like um 
uh, mother and baby units and their effectiveness, um, sexual assault and mental health services, lots of service related research, and also um, working with uh, male perpetrators of domestic violence within the research context as well. Um, I left research when COVID hit because it, it didn't really fit with family life. Like, as you said, I'm a psychologist, but I'm also a mother. And I left and started um, my own private clinical psychology practice, which I called the Feminist Therapy Centre. And essentially, I, you know, most of the time I'm working with women, um, people socialised as women. And um, I guess that... You know, I use lots of different models within the clinical context, but I often hold in mind a feminist therapy framework, which is thinking about the ways in which we are empowered and disempowered um, at kind of lots of different axes, if you like. So um, along the axes of gender, but also um, like ableism, racism, there's, there's lots of different ways in which we can be empowered or disempowered within society. And and often I think that kind of nuance can be mm. really lost and um, there, there can be polarisation along just one axis without the recognition that it's way more complex than that actually in all of these different um, ways in which society can either empower or disempower um, work together to kind of mean that it can be really different for depending on where you sit on, on each of those axes. And that's kind of called the kiriarchy. So thinking about the, the kiriarchy, and I have posts about that on my Instagram. But that's essentially, I suppose, thinking from that more systemic um, angle, which um, is not always, it's become a lot more thought about, but it's often thing, something I think that within therapy, people can think, well, you know, it shouldn't be political or it shouldn't be feminist, right? Like it should be somehow neutral. Um, and when people say that often, yeah, what is neutral? Like, you know, um, we often think it's of, of like straight white male is neutral. Um, and that's why feminist therapy kind of came into being but so in 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 essence that's what i do that's the lens i'm bringing to a lot of things i'm thinking about um yeah okay so it's quite interesting actually sort of given the conversation that we're sort of about to have given the context of it given the nature of um i guess some of the assertions that have been made on i guess some you know one side of the polarization about sort of um the misuse of uh the misuse of the term boundaries to kind of shape uh, behaviors that some have called, I guess, coercive and controlling behavior. So I guess actually the fact that you are a feminist therapist that holds in mind various levels of, I guess, intersectionality in terms of how that sort of shapes uh, human beings' complex existence within the world and the interactions that they may have with other people, but also the systems around them. But then also taking into account the fact that you have, as you said, sort of done quite a lot of research into um, male perpetrators of domestic violence. So actually you seem to have, well, I'm guessing that you have quite a lot of knowledge in relation to that field. So you're able to maybe better than some hold both of those poles um, at the same time and maybe see the the truth in one aspect, maybe the feminist lens and sort of the, the, the view of women, but then also holding in mind the sort of the other side of things. So the more sort of um, 
factual basis around sort of uh, domestic violence and abuse perpetrated by men. So yeah, so it seems to be that you are quite well suited to kind of offer some views around this. Is that fair to say? Yeah. You, oh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm essentially asking you to, to to blow your own trumpet, but I mean, it sounds yeah. like it sounds like we would have some interesting things to say about the conversation. Mm, yeah, yeah, yes. Hopefully, hopefully, and I think. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's always really hard, isn't it? I do sometimes think there's a tendency for psych, you know, for people who've gone into psychology to 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 find that kind of um, ability to kind of assert their like, yes, that's my that's my knowledge. Um, but yeah, hopefully we'll see by the end, I guess. <laughs> Um, and I guess you know, regardless of you know how this conversation plays out, I think the the aim of this conversation is to have a bit more of a nuanced discussion around um things you know um the the events of the past week and to yeah to, to look at things from uh, more than maybe just one one angle which i guess you know i i fall foul of that i um tend to i can i tr i try to be less responsive around things on social media but even i fall into that trap sometimes um yeah. so yeah so i thought it would be just quite I, I don't know i thought it would just be helpful and interesting for people to to be able to hear this conversation yeah um so i guess so i guess you know you've got a list of talking points and uh, you know one of the first things to to kind of maybe start off on is to i guess discuss boundaries and to think about what boundaries are um and um, I guess, you know, to, from your position and with your, I guess, those two poles that you straddle, um, I guess, what's your, I guess, what's your view on what boundaries are? Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it seems that the the text messages have seemed to have kind of thrown up this idea about what are boundaries and that boundaries should be about yourself and what you're going to do and around your safety and your well-being mm -hmm. um but you know i have also heard boundaries discussed as they are your preferences and mm. um you know I, what i find really interesting is this what comes up for me with these text messages is around like there are the set that how we set boundaries depends on so on, on the kind of intention that we have with them and the other skills that we may or may not have um and i think that kind of when you read those text messages you do get that kind of sense don't you of that kind of control and coercion like i want you to do these things and a lot of um commentators are kind of saying like your boundaries should be about what what you need and to protect your own well-being but it's interesting right because equally what if boundaries can also be preferences and what if boundaries are actually about like negotiating relationships between two people? There's a, there's quite a lot, I think, of like boundaries as being like quite rigid and they're set and then someone either agrees to them or they disagree to them. And I think that in practice, that doesn't, it's like they're often way more relational than that, right? It can be more of a dialogue. 
And I think yeah, so. What you were saying there about how um, the boundaries are quite fixed and almost non-negotiable and quite rigid, um, I think that's quite often fed by a narrative that exists on social media in terms of, um, if, like, basically, if you set a boundary and somebody pushes against it, they're not respecting you, and you basically just cut them out of your life, mm. which. <laughs> Mm-hmm. which I always read those and I'm like, a bit, I'm a bit like, whoa, mm-hmm. have we ever have, you know, is there any space for trying to negotiate as to why that person is pushing against your boundary or why that person maybe is struggling to understand your boundary? Have you explained your boundary well enough? You know, have you, because uh, I guess the, the thing that I sort of take away and I took away from those text messages. And I think quite a lot of what I was talking about in my sort of um, messages on my social media page were, a lot of people came across and said, well, those seem like quite reasonable things. They, like you said, they seemed like preferences. They seemed like things that he wants from the relationship and they kind of make sense and he's really polite about them. And I guess one of the things that I mentioned was actually, and I know that there's not much context to those messages. And one of the things that I kind of realized now in hindsight is that obviously those messages were very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, there was no context around them. There was no context around sort of the discussions that were had before and all that kind of stuff, which doesn't take away from the fact that obviously they came across very strongly and very sort of um, imposing. Mm -hmm. But I guess the thing that I sort of have said to people is that there was no, there didn't seem to be any kind of explanation as to why those boundaries, if they were going to call them boundaries, were important to him. Like lots of people Mm -hmm. made assumptions about his insecurity. A lot of people made assumptions about the threats to his masculinity. A lot of people made assumptions around um, just a a lot of things. They made a lot of assumptions about why he would have done what he did. But there was none of that within the context of that explanation, um, which I think is something that is really important when you are setting a boundary. It is the, this is my request or this is my preference or this is my um need or desire or whatever and this is the reason why and this is the context behind it and this is the motivation behind it and this is why i'm expressing or mm-hmm. when you do x this is how i feel and it makes me feel this way or it brings up this emotion for me or it's connected to the past in some way that makes me i don't know and i guess that's kind of that would that for me that was kind of missing from those from from that particular um situation as i say it could have existed in other parts of the conversation i don't know but particularly in those instances that was missing yeah. from that yes exactly and i think like what what that really speaks to when you say that is almost like so again making an assumption that that hasn't happened like that we're just working with what we've seen right this this i i feel like this is sort of this bigger picture here of how men men and women are socialized differently right so that almost like that kind of like these are my boundaries and this is what i'm you know this is what i want without the and this is how it makes me feel that's kind of quite classic of how men are socialized right not to to not really think about how they feel about it like why might that make (laughs) me feel uncomfortable and that is i feel like in this sort of in the kind of commentary and, and narrative response to the text messages it's kind of a complete lack of like why it why is it that those kind that kind of emotional i suppose emotional intelligence or emotional maturity or 
ability to self-reflect emotionally like what like assuming that is that has been missing from the text messages like the problems that that can cause in relationships but then on the other side that she you know in the text messages i noticed that her response was when you act like this it makes me not feel good enough and um and it's so interesting right because to me that's like okay so this but there's no element where where women are socialized to be like okay cool those are your boundaries they don't work for me so i'm out because women are so socialized into the importance of remaining in relationship for worth and this is like these are the things that kind of were jumping out at me as i was reading this like what this is like we can sort of vilify individual men right but that doesn't really seem to like there's a difference to me between like accountability and then just this sort of vilification that happens and um, which happens which happens a lot um but there's an, then no question about like why we are in this situation where this is happening quite you know we this is happening all the time really isn't it where we there are kind of famous uh, men who are kind of exposed for being um, abusive or coercive and they are kind of vilified but the wider kind of context within which this is happening is sort of ignored and I think that that's really problematic because what happens is that um, people double down then right on their coping which is to be like no I you know this is what I want I'm not going to self-reflect I'm not going to you know I'm not going to think about how I feel. I'm just going to double down on my way of coping, which is to be kind of controlling. And I, and I think that that sort of really problematic. And, and then we don't also think about like, what is it? Like, how are we socializing our girls and women as well? And I think there's almost more of a shift there to empowering girls. And that is great but it's not going to solve it on its own but it's still part of the issue right and and almost like those both of those things need to change like how we're socializing both our little boys and our little girls and that i think is is sort of a missing part of the the, the okay. rhetoric around it so yeah so what you're saying is that there's something around how men have been socialized in order to kind of put their points across or their preferences or their requests or the ways in which they would like relationships to be, which almost lacks a depth of sort of knowing like the emotional connection between what they want and why they want it on an emotional level. So sort of if we're thinking about, say, <clears throat> you know, to, to use a, a fairly typical one, which I know is very gendered and is very stereotypical, but I guess, you know, it's quite common that some men will say that they have problems with their uh, girlfriends hanging out with other men. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess, so, you know, quite often they will say something along the lines of don't hang out with, you know, other guys, which is, you know, something that came up in those texts from Jonah Hill. I guess what you're saying is that men will make that assertion or they will make that request but they might not necessarily be able to make the connection between why they're making that request and what that's what that 
where that insecurity comes from or where that vulnerability comes from or what's feeding that. And because they don't know that, and if there's any pushback against it, like they'll almost double down and then maybe become a bit more firm. But, you know, so if we're thinking of the spectrum, they may be more firm or they may become a bit more aggressive and a bit more punitive and a bit more controlling. So I guess on the, on the extremer end of that. And then also what you're saying is that through socialization, when men make those requests, women will give in to them. They will appease that. They will submit to those requests, not necessarily because they want to, but because that's, I guess, what they've been taught. Does that yeah. kind of does that kind of summarize what you're saying? Yeah, and they may have been taught that they may have been taught or learned that that is about you know like their worth as a woman as being in a relationship specifically with a man like that that you know to be uh single as a woman is sort of like could be thought of as like one of the worst things right like to, yeah you get, you're just going to end up a spinster with cats by yourself yeah. and you know you're just going to end up unlovable without any children or a family or anything like that yeah as if that's somehow the worst thing in the world right yeah and, and we actually know yeah. that it's not like that actually that can lead to yeah. a very happy life um, exactly uh, but also that that might happen out of fear right so yes and and, and i suppose i do want to be really clear that like controlling and coercive behavior is really like it is really insidious and it can be really um sort of hard to pin down and um and so i think it is really thinking of that as a as like that is it's a pattern of behavior uh, uh, around kind of like isolation controlling um <clears throat> keeping um uh, an undermining of uh, self confidence, um, and and I guess that yeah. So it's really kind of important to to be clear that 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 is a specific thing, and it can be really hard, right, for victims to speak out about it because of some of the feedback that Sarah's getting. But yeah, definitely, I think um, that there's those two ways of being socialized. So men not connecting to why it is. And this is where I think so often, I think people or men or people generally think that feminism is about um, hating men. And what I really, you know, if there's something I could just like, if there was like one takeaway from this podcast, I think it's that, patriarchal narratives that is you know this is how to be a manly man this is how to be a good woman can be damaging to everybody everybody involved right because yeah. you know there's this what you when i think about like what's behind when some when when a man is abusive or controlling or coercive like there's, there was this, I can't actually remember where she quoted it from, but there is a anti-racism or anti-oppression um, educator called Ravadeep Kaur. And she talked about in order to dehumanize someone, you have to, like a part of you is also dehumanized, right? And I think that that's such a powerful quote because it allows us to not to excuse, but to, to think about like what has happened to that person to bring them to a place where they can do that to another person. 
And I and, and for me that without thinking about that and without addressing that, the, we, there is no movement forward. Um, and is that what you meant by the 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 wider context is not thought about? The, yeah. So when we so when we think about or when we see these instances of um, famous or powerful men that have been outed for you know. Um, acting in really abhorrent and awful ways towards women we kind of we very we are very quick to as you say sort of vilify the man vilify the behavior quite rightly um and you know understandably but i guess um there's less thoughts around as to why and how men become that way and i guess what you're talking about is that some of that or one of the primary reasons or at least one of the factors may be around how men are socialized and how men are you know within this patriarchal society through these sort of uh, quite strict and rigid gendered expectations in their own way potentially dehumanized and i guess this happens in various different ways doesn't it um but there's some kind of way in which they are they have been made to be felt less than human or worthless in some way or awful of her or have had their um freedom taken away or they've been made to feel fear terror scared whatever um which then you know from what that quote is saying has then met, given them the capacity to then do that to somebody else mm. and mm. i guess what you're saying is that if we don't address the reasons, the multitude of potential reasons as to why that happens to men, mm. then we're probably never going to ever get to a point where men will be able to engage in more healthy relations with women or yeah. not necessarily with women, but just even with each other. But, you know, within the context of this conversation, we're talking a bit more about women, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. And, and it's, it's, um, I often, I guess like, yeah, one of the things that I found sort of right, trying to write a social media post around it is um, how to, yeah, that you can that almost like to say that feels, can feel like um, that you are moving into that place of excusing, right? And so I suppose it's important to make that distinction between we can explain why someone may have come to the place that they're at which is psychology right without excusing the behavior like that accountability and responsibility <laughs> well i mean that's my job <laughs> that's as a as a forensic yes. psychologist that is literally my job you know my job is pretty much that it's to it's to take somebody through the journey of their life who has you know committed a varied amount of offenses and to try and help them understand to think about the context of their life and to think about how they got to the point where they did what they did mm -hmm. um and uh yeah so yeah so i i fully i fully get what you say but also like you're saying the the point of my job is to not excuse the behavior and it's not to say that the behavior was okay and it's not to say that actually um and not to dismiss that the the behavior had consequences you know mm -hmm. not not least for the the person themselves because obviously they in the context of my work they'll have ended up in prison but actually for the victim for the victim's family for the sort of you know that ripple effect of of violence and how that extends outwards from the individual into the sort of societal um but i guess 
at the same time, it's about holding both of those, isn't it? It's about the, it's about saying that this is wrong and this is not right. Um, but how do we try and understand why that occurred and what is the, what, what, what is the journey from birth essentially up mm. to, um, crime or offense? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that. Yeah, exactly that. And it's, you know, I, I mean, I'd be really interested to hear like your experience, but I imagine that you're probably s sitting with a lot of trauma, right? Like it's it, when you look at You like, mean as a, as, a, as a man or as a forensic psychologist? <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I was referring to forensic psychologists, but yeah, I mean, when you look at like the risk factors for perpetration of yeah. um, domestic violence, um, yeah, a lot of it is associated with traumatic, stressful things. And again, not excusing. But then on the other side of that, the other thing that I find like really sort of hard to say is like, and then how do we think about sort of that work with women without it moving into that bl blaming? And that's where it's really important to come back to the social context, the context of people's lives. What have you learned about being a woman? What did you see modeled growing up? You know, lots and lots of women that I work with basically grew up seeing, um, you know, their mothers, it like, sort of being saved by men or um you know doing things that they they didn't want to do but never saying no I don't want to do that and and you know the, it's kind of like that sort of almost like there's like the individual work to do but in the context of, of social stuff and then and then you know I suppose really if we're taking it to like what needs to like, how do you start to address this stuff? I guess it then comes to parenting, right? And again, that's such a kind of gendered issue because for lots of people within my clinical experience, but also personal experience with um, friends and just kind of as like, this is sort of the, the story that I see quite often is, is that it is women doing the work of parenting. So then it, for me, it becomes a bit like, all oh, right, okay, so now are we placing the burden of solving the patriarchy on the, on, the, on the shoulders of mothers, right? Because often it's mothers reading about like, how do I want to parent? How do I want to be a cycle breaker? I'm using inverted commas there, like such, like that for me feels like a heavy burden to be a cycle breaker. In fact, um, one of my clients who gave me permission to share this phrase, use the phrase, I'm a cycle nudger. Like, I'm just nudging it along a little bit. And I was like, that's really beautiful. I love that. It's just that kind of taking off that pressure. But I think, yeah, it's 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 essentially going to come back down to that, right? Like that we do seem to have moved forward with the messages that we give little girls about who they can be and what they can be and um you know how to be more boundaried and vocal and all of that stuff but the 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 part about little boys being able to cry little boys being able to 
paint their nails or wear dresses or you know even play with girls right that that's kind of come up for me a lot like that there's such a pressure from such a young age to start to conform to the ideas of what is socially acceptable in terms of manhood right like it's such a rigid binary still for little boys and um i feel like that is actually um where we need to move kind of back to in order to to move forward with this but it's hard to you it's hard to do that because oh i find that's hard to do without it being placed upon the shoulders of mothers but then like what revolution starts with an oppressor right like it 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 always starts with the oppressed so and I think, so picking up on two things that you said there, so you talked about, so you feel like the responsibility lays with parenting and then specifically mothers within that sort of dynamic, because I guess just <laughs> traditionally, I know we don't necessarily want to make generalizations, but I guess it's it's true, you know, given the work that you do and the experiences that you have within your clinical setting, I feel like you can probably attest to how prevalent that is. But then I guess also thinking about how early on these gendered roles start. And I guess the reason I want to, the reason I raise that is because I guess that's kind of, I guess that's kind of one of the things that I try to hold in mind within my own sort of um, household, within the parenting dynamic that I have with my partner. So I'm, I'm in a heteronormative, heterosexual, um, uh, relationship so um one of the things that i actively try and hold in mind is that actually the responsibility of raising our children in this way that you've described because i sh- i share that i share um that view of um how the long game <laughs> if we're thinking about how to mold society or change society, not mold society, but change society in a way that is different from now starts with the grassroots generation. Mm. It starts with us. We can only do so much, you know, I'm assuming that you're a millennial like me, roughly. Mm-hmm. Um, we <laughs> we're geriatric, geriatric <laughs> millennial, I think is the yeah, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. I was trying to, I was trying to be kind to myself. No, I am a geriatric millennial, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, we're sort of halfway through our life at the moment. There's, uh, you know, what we can do within our sphere of influence is is a lot more limited than if we were a bit younger. Um, but so, but but what we can do now is we can kind of feed that. Um, down into the younger generations, and then hopefully that will have a bit of a trickle down effect. But one of the things that I really hold in mind is, I guess, is the, the the sort of traditional expectations of who does the who does the teaching around that, who does the teaching around what the gendered expectations are, and I try and be very very mindful of those. So, um, you know, as an example, one of the things that we um, strongly encourage with our children is that actually colours are neutral, like there is literally nothing gendered about blue or pink or anything like that we talk about colors in a very non-gendered way we talk about clothing and the and the colors of clothing and the types of clothing in a non-gendered way um you know my son the other day 
um, picked up some hair bands and was like, these look cool. And we were like, yeah, they were. And he's like, can I have them? And we were like, why not? Yeah. Like, and he wore them for like maybe three days and then he hasn't worn them again. But, and, and not because, I don't know, not because we said anything or anything like that, but just because he tried it out, he, he wore them around for a bit. And then he sort of, you know, chose to not. Um, but he is, you know, he's he's becoming socialized a, a bit more in the traditional sort of role of a boy. And that's mm. fine. You know, what, you know, that's that's just how it is. But I guess as much as, as I guess as much as we can, we're trying to, we're not trying to be dogmatic in the sense of, you know, there is, you have all these sort of options before you, but also at the same time, we're just trying to not be, oh, that's not really, that's, that's not really what boys wear, or that's a bit more for girls, or I guess we're just trying to remain as blasé as we can about things and sort of not be, not be too influential. The problem is though, <laughs> Go on. the problem is, is that for all the efforts that we might be doing inside our house, <laughs> sure, for sure, yeah. the external world outside is still very gendered and the, the external yeah. world outside. So, you know, nursery, school, all that kind of stuff, other, other, other children's parents. And I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about the way other parents, other, other parents parent their children, but other people have different values. Other people see the world in a different way and their children, will sort of be raised in that way too and have those opinions so it's um it's it's inevitable that there are there is gendering in some way that that those those do do sort of still sort of influence yeah of course of course and i i guess i always sort of think with people about you know yes we only like we the older they get the less influence we have, right? Their peers <laughs> and, and external influences become stronger. And I guess, well, certainly in my own parenting, I tend to hold the kind of notion that it's that none of that external stuff is my job to manage for them, right? And my job is to pro- provide a space where they can come and be like, I want to wear this or I want to do this and that they know that that will be like, yeah, okay, cool. And that they, so that they get that kind of safe space to explore whatever it is, whether that is traditionally girly or whether that's traditionally a boy thing. And of, and of course, you know, they will probably go through a journey where that's, you know, my, my son loves pink and he's now in school and that's starting to change. Um, so probably go through a journey where they probably will find that it's so important to be um, accepted within the group. That, and, to, you know, and to do the things that fit with the other expectations, isn't it? Yeah. I guess the worst thing for a child is to be ostracized and to be alienated and to be seen as um, different or othered in some way, isn't it? Yeah, but that they know that they can kind of like do that and then come and be themselves here at home. And hopefully that they can still be themselves outside, but that whatever happens, that that space is there for them to have whenever they need it. And that hopefully that will be kind of taken out. So, you know, that example that you gave with the the hairbands, like just what a beautiful kind of gift of, 
yeah, cool, like explore that. And then there's just such this blase around it, right? Like wear it for a bit, tried it, you know, might come back to it, might not, who knows, but that it feels okay to, to do that. Whereas I think that for lots of little boys, that would not be the response, the response. And actually that- It would be, it would be met with, I think it would be met with quite a lot of shaming and criticism, wouldn't it, for some? Yeah, at best, like, and at worst, it, it can be worse than that. And that actually, when you look at the data around risk, risk for perpetration, like, um, having those very gendered, rigid gendered views uh, given to you growing up is one of the things that is a risk factor right so it's not like this is not just like complete that link is kind of there um and but that also i think takes the pressure off parents as well right like it, it isn't my job to make sure that they never come into contact with gendered expectations because of course for some where where you're where your desires and your goals and your like enjoyment meet is in alignment with those expectations. That's not where the problem is, is it? The problem is when we we like something and we enjoy something, and when we're we're kind of shamed or criticised or you know um, even abused to to not do that thing. That that's the space where. So it's not that like you've got a boy who likes football. Like that's fine as long as they like it. <laughs> Right. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I guess, yeah, but it's not our job to control all of that outside. I guess it's thinking about like, what are we offering to our kids um, in, in their sort of safe space to be whoever it is that they want to be. Um, but I also really like what you're saying about it. What essentially what this is kind of going to take is for that. It was particularly within heterosexual couples for men to have that mindfulness you know you said I'm mindful about it. it requires me to hold it in mind at the forefront of my mind because actually it's so it's it's much easier to not see it if it's not something that is affecting you so that holding in mind and kind of allowing the things even if it makes us even if our you know everything inside is the same don't let them buy the pink hair bubbles you know like being mindful of that and allowing that like that's really hard stuff i think but the, but even but even like just just general sort of expectations around the house and in terms of childcare and things like that like um obviously growing up you know again in a in a sort of heteronormative uh, household where sort of the the, the man in the house, my, my, you know, my father and my stepfather respectively had particular roles and my mom had particular roles. And it's so, it's so, so the reason why I say I have to be mindful is actually because it is quite, I have to be really conscious, not quite, like, it's not like it's an uphill battle or it's like I'm going against sort of like nature or anything like that. I hold it up, I held up inverted commas there, mm. but I guess it's just gone. It's, it's just going against the, the, the naturalized socialized script that I'm used to where actually it can, there is a temptation sometimes to just really easily slip into just, you know, that's what my partner does around the house. And that's what I do around the house, you know, especially, especially around sort of childcare and things like that. And I have to, actively like remind myself like you know, oh no that's that's not just her job 
That's mm. not just her job to do. That's that's my job as well. That's something that's shared between us. Like these are our children. Like mm. <laughs> like like we we've, we've co-created these mm. little human beings, which drive who drive me up the wall. By the way, but I love you so much. <laughs> but we've but we've co-created these human beings together, and actually, it's not just her job to to take time out of work to do. Unfortunately, that does tend to be what happens given the nature of the jobs that we have and it's slightly easier for her to do it but you know when it does happen we have conversations about it and we try to say okay the next time I'll do it or the next time I'll do that or like if I've got an opportunity like the other day my um my son's um art class after school or whatever was cancelled mm. and I just thought oh okay Right. Okay. I've, I've got a clear diary this afternoon. I actually don't have to see anyone. So I just went to my line manager and I said, listen, this has happened. Can I just go work from home and go pick up my son? And, you know, and she was like, yeah, okay, that's fine. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's just, I guess it's just, uh, you know, but I have to, I have to be mindful of that because I guess the, the natural easy thing to do is to just slip in and be like, oh, let's let my partner sort that out. Yeah, because that's the that's the typical gendered expectation, isn't it? And she would have done. She would have done. She absolutely would have done it because I know she would. Um, so it's just so when I say it's mindful, it's about having to actively be aware of where the potential for you know those slips in gendered expectations arise and how to make sure that I'm not you know feeding into those um stereotypical gendered norms as as much as it would be easy to i guess yeah and like what as you're speaking what's kind of coming up for me is is actually what you're doing there is giving up some of your power right i could actually just get away with this right and i think that 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 is actually what is required in any of those kind of social systems where one um often it's binary right but there's like a continuum where one party is sort of given an unearned amount of power and it and, and that's what we and that's what we think about when we like you know so that's what we think about as privilege isn't it so yeah, when people yeah. when people push back against the word privilege and saying that sort of you know especially sort of within the the, the realms of men where they say well men have no privilege what does privilege mean all that kind of stuff yeah. so what what we talk about when we talk about privilege is we talk about power distributions and power differentials within relationships yeah okay yeah. sorry i yeah. interrupted you there no 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 yeah exactly that's it power and privilege and the and the you know the power comes from the ability to decide whether i'm going to be the one to pick this up or not and i think that um it, it's such a kind of kind of important topic but it also comes from you know often having power by being physically stronger right often not always but often so the the and and when we're thinking i suppose of um uh more kind of coercive behaviors it's it, it is that controlling like maintaining power over somebody and how they are and i guess coming back to those text messages that is that is what a lot of people are looking at them and saying it is that kind of controlling power over how somebody else is presenting in the world and yeah it it, it the kind of revolution if, if you like 
it whether whether that is um, around sort of sexism or racism or ableism, it requires people who have the power and therefore probably don't see the imbalance, right, to start to see it and to address it by giving up some of their power, by giving up their time and going to get the kids rather than just letting it slide. Like that's one sort of example of that. But that's really what's required of men, I think. And like, of course, it's hard to give up power because it it's it it is sort of um, it is, I think, tantalizing. But it's also how it's also how a lot of um, it is also where kind of worth I think comes into it for men. Like that that we sort of we almost um yeah like think of um powerful men as you know that rhetoric of like powerful men are sexy or they've got you know like there there is also that sort of element where that's how men are taught to get their worth is through having power so it's really i think it's really a complex issue of how do you move people towards giving that note firstly noticing it and then giving it up so, so thinking about those text messages and thinking about power and, you know, maybe hypothesizing about power dynamics around that potentially, again, this is purely hypothesis. This is not sort of in any shape or form factual, mm-hmm. but, you know, in what you were talking about in terms of coercive control being about power mm-hmm. and it's almost the, that in that relationship, with um, Sarah Brady, the particularly maybe hanging around men who are surfing is a potential threat to Jonah's power in the sense of how he sees himself as a man and what he's worried about in terms of how um, his girlfriend at the time would have seen other men. And that kind of maybe threatens the, the power that he has over himself or his views about himself or the vulnerability that he has in terms of his identity as a man, maybe in terms of, I don't know, various things. So therefore the, the stipulations and the requests or the boundaries, which um, are sort of more direct are an attempt to kind of maintain that power over the situation. And therefore the only, and the only way that he can do that, because I guess he can't necessarily, he can't sort of, control the other men in Mm. his girlfriend's life and he can't say oi do this or oi do that but the person that he can have you know some influence over some coercive influence potentially is his girlfriend and so therefore it's an assertion or a stipulation or trying to redress the 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 power yeah and and i think so i think that one he can't control the other men but also it's sort of fine for other men like that now boys will be boys like you know men have affairs like that's not if a woman has an affair in the media like that's a big thing right again she gets vilified for that um so i think there's something about like the expectations around um sexuality with women and with men and for men that their status and their power is linked to how you know, I'm using inverted commas again, pure or um, sort of um, 
monogamous or faithful a woman is like that is um you know the kind of idea of being cuckolded right that's, mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. that's how you say it like Cucked as the uh, sort of alpha sort of manosphere people would refer to it, but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, I'm obviously not down with the manosphere speaking. <laughs> I, listen, I, listen to a, I listen to a particularly, um, oh, I don't know how to describe it, challenging um, podcast mm-hmm. today from uh, sort of around some research that I'm doing for another side project. And um, yeah, the man referenced men being cucked quite often. And I was like, oh, it means to be mm-hmm. cuckolded. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that that's like, um, that is, that, I suppose that's the threat, isn't it? That's where the insecurity comes from. That's a threat to the, to what, um, you know, uh, a, a manly man, a, a powerful man, that's like the, but then they also that part about con, like controlling that um that one other person and that it's really interesting because i guess it kind of requ- it really requires someone to be like what is this actually about i don't it's hard to say but i was listening to a podcast the man enough podcast which i've just discovered and i really like there was yeah, it's great isn't it it's great there was a guest on there i can't remember his name it's a theme for me i can't remember people saying but <laughs> he was basically saying like in relation to he was talking about looking after children but it was it was it was i thought it was quite something to admit that there's this idea that i don't want to but that there is an idea in his head and i shouldn't have to right like this sense of entitlement that i i shouldn't have to i'm a man right and that that to me was really wild like oh right wow you have you actually and obviously he challenged that and that's why he was talking about it on this podcast but it does really require someone to go into like what what is so threatening about this like what beliefs do i have about and i imagine it is something about i you know i should have control of my woman it's something about possession and how she represents something about me and my masculinity and that's what's threatened um and and but also really normalized right like it's it's uh yeah that kind of having that i'm not in that manosphere obviously but some <laughs> of the stuff that yeah some of the stuff that you that you kind of hear about secondhand is <clears throat> the kind of idea that women are possessions and they should i don't know i'm probably i can't even think of the guy's name now um but yeah that they should be oh, like andrew andrew yes Tate. andrew yeah. Tate, yeah that <clears throat> i mean the stuff that he comes out with and i almost it's so easy to be like oh i'm so disconnected from that but he is influencing so much about the ex you know the expectations of how to be a man like that's that it's very worse isn't it and that is that's what we need to challenge is that again <clears throat> the how has that come to be how has how has that come to be because that individual person makes those claims and it's also really almost like lapped up and that's that's a problem that is bigger than Andrew Tate like if it wasn't him then it would be someone else so like what yeah he's he's not the first person to have kind of stepped into that 
um, vacuum, as it were. So sort of somebody's, I can't remember who it was, um, but somebody was saying that the reason he's, the reason he's able to get to the kind of the the pinnacle that he has is because there's he's filling a gap and because no one else is, um, which you know, I I I, I guess I agree with it because I suppose that's one of the that's one of the reasons why I sort of um, started doing what I do in relation to trying to give different perspectives about manhood and think about masculinity mm-hmm. in a different way in the sort of small little sort of corner of the internet that I have is because actually, you know, I think, I think, yeah, there's this kind of stuff isn't, isn't spoken about enough. I think it's sort of treated a lot as that. So the way that I think about it is, is the idea of masculinity and femininity is so embedded into the tapestry of our culture and our society that it just isn't thought about at mm. all. It's almost just so it's the water that we swim in mm. and we just aren't aware of its presence because it is just there and we haven't taken the time to really think about this sort of in some respects very overt influences but the more subtle influences and not like you know that starts with what we were talking about so sort of even from the early age of raising children and all the influences that they have and all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's just there in the background working away. And if we don't start to, I guess, don't start to see it, start to name it, start to think about it, start to deconstruct it. It's just, yeah, it's just going to carry on as it has been without any kind of challenge. Um, I've rambled on a bit there without necessarily saying anything specific, I guess. But yeah, but I suppose, I suppose, yeah, I suppose that's kind of that's kind of a, a reason as to why I've started doing what I do and why mm. I, I try and have the conversations that I have to try and bring an alternative, yes, <laughs> conversation to the this is what men do and this is what women do and if you're not doing this, then you're a, that kind of a man and if you're not this kind, of, if you're not treating a woman in this kind of a way, then it means you're a a simp or a beta or whatever the whatever the made up derogatory terminology is these days mm, mm, yeah see i haven't yeah that's and that's so powerful isn't it like i don't want to be that so i'm going to be this other thing but i think it's really you know i guess that as with any kind of growth or healing or self-reflection or self-discovery like part of what you kind of provide is this safe space to explore these things and I think that when it can feel really unsafe to enter into these kinds of discussions because you know the internet and um reactions cancelled you know all of that stuff and I and I guess we have this unique experience of as psychologists of really kind of getting to know that the the nuance and messiness of humanness and that allows to bring a certain um compassion to the the whole spectrum of what we're talking about and it that it, it it's like change is not going to happen without safety right like that's kind of like almost like the basis of of, I guess, psychological theory is 
that yeah we really need to be able to access safe spaces in order to take a peek at what i believe you know like what a, a space to be able to say out loud and think about what did where did i learn that and what was that experience for me as you know a, a child or whenever i learned it and that i think yeah so that's really needed it's really needed it's really needed for for men in particular to be able to access that and i do see it happening more like i see more about that on the internet and that's really good but it's definitely exploded i think for women like self-growth development self-reflection like accessing therapy um and again it's a hugely um it's not a super accessible thing is it psychology but i think yeah it's really important to have these spaces that you kind of provide for men to be able to um yeah also heal and grow in order to to then um yeah give up some of that power so that we can live in a society where uh, violence and aggression is not um so normalized i guess well i feel like that feels like a nice place mm -hmm. to end i've had you um very graciously for about an hour now so thank you very much i appreciate your time um it has been a really good conversation thank you i've enjoyed the i love these conversations where they tend to sort of tend go on little tangents and then come back to the the start and then go off somewhere else they're great they're great yeah 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 and we i'm i'm sure we have like probably a few different i was thinking there's definitely a podcast episode here on like um uh uh like labor right household labor absolutely absolutely <laughs> and i know we spoke about something else so i'm sure we will uh... yeah no I'd, I'd i'd welcome you back for another discussion so actually that's another two discussions that i think that you yeah. can come back for now <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you dan thank you very much becca just uh as a just just you know um as a final opportunity to kind of just, you know, let the listeners know where they can find you. And I guess sort of, you know, anything about maybe that you're working on that they might want to be interested or just mm -hmm. generally your practice, just kind of, uh, this is your opportunity to plug yourself a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So you can find me um, at Dr. Underscore Becca underscore Shellcross. Do people say underscore anymore? I'm not sure. On Instagram. <laughs> I have no idea. Geriatric <laughs> millennial do, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, exactly. Just showing my my millennial status. Um, uh, so yes, you can find me there. I um, I do, so I work one-to-one -one with women in therapy. I work, um, I run a course which is around, it's for women to think about the narratives that they've learned about womanhood and how that may be a barrier for them kind of living how they want to live and, and setting boundaries is one of the things that we talk about. So that course is called Becoming Conscious. Um, and I more recently have set up the Psychology Cooperative with Dr. Emma Swanberg, uh, who you may know. And, uh, yeah, and we, um, well, we are aiming to, I suppose, make psychological therapy um, and education more accessible. So it's a cooperative model, a, a cooperative business model, essentially. Um, and you can find um, us there. Um, and that is at the Psychology Cooperative. So those are the things I'm doing at the moment. Okay. 
Perfect. Sounds amazing. Um, well, thank you uh, one final time, Becca. Um, I hope you have a good rest of your evening and um, I'll be sure to be in touch to, to book you in for those other two chats. Brilliant. Lovely. Thanks so much.